Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, I am here with Greg Collins, a famed 3D printer guy thing. <laughs> I don't know, what's the best way to describe you, man? Like a, a mechanical engineer? Uh, no, I, I mean, I went to school for that, but I dropped out, so I'm not a mechanical engineer. Um, but I just usually call myself a 3D printing enthusiast. Alright, that's, that's cool. Uh, well, I'm very clearly a huge fan of yours. I talk about most of the stuff that you put up, and I use most of your stuff you can't quite see it in shop but i have one two three four like nine of your uh of your designs <laughs> in either displayed or in my setup holding things together so uh thank you very much yeah <laughs> yeah not a problem so um, um i might have a cat or two that joins my lab <laughs> that's absolutely fine for anybody in video we get to see a cat and anybody listening audio only if there's a interruption that's it and also as always i uh i live right in the middle of manhattan and there's always going to be a siren or, or something awful happening so uh, i'll make sure to try to mute myself uh so if i go quiet real quick that's why it's because there's chaos outside uh, fair enough so uh i'm trying to remember the first design of yours that i saw uh, I think it might have been uh, one of your collaborations with Dan, Citrus 3000 PSI, uh, on some of the GC video stuff you were working on. Um, or maybe it was something before that. But uh, what, what do you think is like the first retro gaming thing that you designed? Oh, um, the first thing that I actually designed was the uh, tray to go around the USB GD-ROM uh, board. Oh, okay, okay. So that, oh, that would have been pretty pretty soon after I started 3D printing. Um, I I think I remember seeing the one that uh, Twisted Symphony made for the uh, the GDEMU, and I thought that would be kind of nice for my USB GDROM, and I spent probably way more hours than I should have measuring all of the openings in the Dreamcast to make it fit. But, yeah, that that was probably the first thing that I ever designed, and that was one of those... I didn't really know what to do with the design after I made it, mm-hmm. and I posted photos of it on, I think, similar games before they went down for that long period of time. Yeah. And then uh, people started asking me to print them for them, and, you know, I didn't really know a whole lot about the Thingiverse at that point, and I didn't do much there. So I'm like, okay, I'll print you one. And so that's kind of how I started doing that kind of stuff. And um, the that tray made it through a lot of revisions. Uh, that was really early in my skill set in designing things. Um, I think I'm on like revi- or, uh, major revision six and like the second minor tweak of it. <laughs> 
Isn't it funny that no matter what it is, whether it's a 3D print or a circuit board or something else, most people, I'd say 99% of people, always just go back and like find little tiny things that they want to tweak and things that nobody else on the planet would ever give a shit about. And but you go back and just tweak all these oh, tiny yeah. little things and yeah, yeah, I I I can't tell you how many times. I think even one of those major revisions, I went back to the drawing board and I scrapped my my design file and I started over. <laughs> uh, is I have uh, I think I have the very first test print that I did and like it barely fits. You had to kind of jam it into the system <laughs> to get it even to to fit right. And the the more recent or the most recent version, it it's like butter. It slides right in and and fits awesome. in there great. But um, I think my biggest notoriety came from the uh, um, the GameCube. Uh, for the uh, Pluto 2 board mm-hmm. mount. That one, uh, I think that was the one where first time that I posted it on the Thingiverse immediately after designing it. And, like, that blew up. I saw that everywhere. I saw people printing them in mod shops to do for their consoles. Yeah, but that that's the one modding. where you desolder the digital port on the GameCube, yep. and then you could just drop this right in its place. So you yep. essentially turn the um, the digital port on the GameCube into an HDMI port. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that was that was one of the first ones that I saw that I went nuts over because that is just a perfect solution for people that don't want to cut their consoles. Uh, you never mm-hmm. know when you don't want to put something back the way it was. You know, I I can't see a reason why you wouldn't want to cut a hole and put an HDMI jack in, but who knows what we're going to see 20 years from now, you know? The, uh, it's, when we it's plug into true. the Matrix, maybe there's going to be another adapter that we have to plug into. But So I saw that. I thought that was really, really awesome, and that, that fit nicely. Yeah. So. Um, Thanks, yeah. So what's like... Um, like, uh, Could you walk through what an average thing would be to make one of the things that you design? So like, uh, I assume you get an idea sparked because you probably want to make something for yourself or you see something that really needs to be made. Um, but then, like, what's the next thing you do? Do you fire up SolidWorks or AutoCAD or? So I do all my design work in uh, Autodesk Inventor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it would be pretty similar to SolidWorks. Uh, it's a professional grade um, CAD software. Uh, I use the Student Edition because I am still a student. I'm actually going back to school now. But oh. um, yeah, it's. That's kind of the the program that I use, and it I use it mostly because most of my original like mechanical engineering classes were done in Auto AutoCAD mm-hmm. from uh, Autodesk, and um, it's kind of it's it's familiar and it's something that I I have an easy time working with, and then uh, from there I usually do a overall size. Um, of the object. So I go in with a pair of calipers and I measure whatever it is that I'm going to make. So like for the the high def nest uh, riser, um, what I did was I took a pair of calipers. I actually have a very large 12 inch set of calipers <laughs> and I measured the outside di- or dimensions of the system. And from there, I just drew a you know square or rectangle of the outside dimensions and then you go in and you just measure everywhere that the dimension changes from that outside dimension and you mark that into your design as you go and um i mean that's 
probably about the the easiest way to start because you're just making small incremental changes mm -hmm. and then in the file all of those changes are, are logs so if say your original outside measurement was off by a little bit you can go back into the very first measurement adjust the uh, dimension and then everything else will shift based on that adjustment hmm. so uh, it, depending on how far back you made a mistake or how far back there's uh, a, a dimension you forgot to add, anything along those lines, you can move kind of the, the parts or the, the pieces that you made throughout the, the design around to kind of adjust for maybe you had a, a, a screw post off by just a little bit. You can move it just a little bit and the uh, software takes over all of the changes so you don't have to go back through and redo a whole section that's pretty neat. Uh, I didn't progress. realize that. Um, I didn't realize that it would be. Um, I'm losing the word here, but when you make one change, it passes it along to the rest, so you don't have to then go remeasure everything, like if you were on graph paper or something. Yeah, and it's kind of the hard part about um, that is you can't always rely on it when you. All right, um, we had a, a cat-related technical difficulty. We're back. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the, the changes aren't always going to be, uh, they aren't always going to work out in your favor. Sometimes um, you have something that's linked to something else that you don't want to move. And if you make a change to that older um, dimension, you, you'll move something that you may not have wanted to move. Mm -hmm. So in those cases, you got to kind of go back through and, and actually cut out what you put in and put it back in the way that you want it to be in. And everything is done kind of as a 2D drawing, and then you, they call it extruding. So you, you just uh, raise that dimension up, mm -hmm. so into the 3D world. And then you can go back and do things like chamfer edges, and put in curves and holes. And, but majority of the work is done in 2D. So you, you just, you're taking 2D measurements of the object, and, and you uh, bring it into the 3D world by stretching it out in that z dimension and do you think this is um like a user-friendly software for somebody to get started on or do you think uh you know this is um, more for a professional that already knows the layout of a pro software so if you've got experience with autocad products um inventor's probably going to be something that you'd be comfortable with mm -hmm. but if you're starting out i would start with like tinkercad or something along those lines where it's very basic very easy to this does that, and, and so on and so forth. Okay. Um, is definitely a more advanced software suit. Because, you know, the, it doesn't really matter what it is I'm working on. I always have the same problem in the past few years, and that I don't want to spend my time learning a software and gaining a skill set unless it's something I could use for more than just one project. I can't tell you yeah. how many times I've, uh, you know, I've spent a week working on something, tweaking it, especially for the website stuff. And then at the end of the week, I'm like, oh, that's not what I needed at all. So all that knowledge is just useless and gone. And um, yeah. so like, when I started editing videos a lot more, you know, past Windows Movie Maker skill set, I just went right to Premiere because I knew, um, you know, my, my brother-in-law edited his whole movie in Premiere. So it's, uh, I knew, you know, that's a skill set that I could keep. But there's, um, you know, starting with Windows Movie Maker, as silly as that was, was a huge help because it was a quick learn. Um, and you yeah. learn, like, some of the basic stuff. So... Uh, so what, just to, to clarify for people, what were the two names of the software, both for beginners and the one that you're using now? 
Uh, Tinkercad is uh, an Autodesk software suite, and it's very basic, easy easy to kind of get into, and they have lots of online guides for how to use it. And I'm using Autodesk Inventor. I am uh, writing that down so I can put a link in the description <laughs> for people. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, cool. Um, and then, so once you get the basic design down, um, you would just do a test print in your 3D printer? Yeah, usually. Once I, I have it where I'm fairly confident that I've got a lot of what I want in the right spots. Because one of the nice things about being able to 3D print is when you have the, the model or the object in hand, you can compare it to the actual um, part that you're trying to replicate or trying to to replace, what have you. Because then you have the ability to take the part that is on uh, that you've made and compare it to the to what you want it to do mm-hmm. like uh i think i just i just released that that uh file for the uh gamecube uh fan mod mm-hmm. and i was fairly fairly sure that i got the screw holes in the right spot but wasn't 100 percent sure so i printed it out but i only printed it for the first like three millimeters of the print and i pulled it off my print bed just to make sure that it fit in the spots that it was supposed to go. And yeah, it, it fit. And I'm like, yay. So that was actually my next question for you is, um, you know, whenever I'm doing anything that I have to print out, I print a draft copy, you know, whether it's a laser mm-hmm. for my laser jet, I really don't care, but especially for my, my just basic inkjet printer. Um, I, you know, ink's expensive, so I don't yeah. print a, you know, the, I print draft quality. It looks like crap, but now it's like, all right, well, it's aligned. I put it in the right direction, and then I go back and do a high-quality print on glossy paper. So is there something like that for, for 3D printers, or do you just print the first half of it, the bottom half, hope everything lines up, and then reprint the rest? Yeah, um, yeah, there, there definitely is. Uh, one of the things that you can do in 3D printing is you can vary the amount of material that's inside of the object that you're mm-hmm. printing. And I've done that a lot, where I pretty much am I'm printing the walls of the object. Uh, I've like a 5% or a 10% infill inside of the object so it's pretty much just like a hollow hollow shell you really need the the inner material to kind of support the top layers because that's where it kind of gets messy when you don't have a lot of infill Mm -hmm. so a lot of times if you print real low uh infill your your top edges will kind of look a little messy sunk in kind of look hanging like they're hanging but you, you use significantly less material when you when you print something with a, a much lower infill. And I'm assuming things like mounting points, you would want to print on the bottom anyway with the most amount of, uh, of print material in there so that you have a solid anchor that you could screw something down on top of for something taller. Um, than that, right? A lot of times it depends on how the object's being mounted and how the forces are going to be applied to it. So 3D printing, you're always going to be weakest on your um, layers that are laid on the in the Z direction. So as you move away from the print, every layer is kind of your weak point because you're laying uh, hot melted plastic on top of already starting to cool plastic. Mm-hmm. So they call it delamination, where your layers will actually strip apart. Mm-hmm. So if you if you do a, a screw mount hole on something and you want to screw it straight down on on a uh, a surface and you're pressing against it, that's usually going to be the weaker point. So you gotta kind of think about how you're, you're, how you're going to to actually mount the uh, 
or how you're going to mount the object when it's in place so that you can you can uh, alleviate any issues that might come up from just the forces that are applied against the object. Um, in the GameCube fan one, I actually put a lot of extra um, kind of dimensions into it just to give it a little bit more rigidity for um, because you because pr- you you push the power cord into the backside of that. Mm-hmm. So I was worried about that that delamination effect because you're putting that force against the uh, layers like that and it wasn't something that I could avoid uh, in the design just because of the way that the existing one was placed it it was pretty much you just got to make it work <laughs> mm-hmm. so I added I added an extra dimension uh, right near where the screw goes in towards the back end of the, the console that's great. So that way, when you're, when you're pushing in, it's not using the whole weight of the uh, of the print against itself. It has more backing behind it. Yeah, it has a little bit more uh, support in that. Um, so, how do you deal, or or at least how do you plan ahead, maybe for the the tolerances for things like um, like the uh, like things that are bolting together, so that you know that you know the 3D print might not be perfect, especially if somebody doesn't have the best printer. Um, how do you get it so precise so that it's able to line up like that? Are, are 3D printers just getting good enough so that you don't have to worry as much? Um, I mean, unless you're using a very low-end uh, machine, like one of the kit China or Chinese kit, uh, kit printers, mm-hmm. most of them are within the tolerances that any of the objects that I've really designed would would need. Hmm. Um, you're talking a couple hundred microns of uh, of tolerance that the those machines have. Um, I mean, even in in mine, I've got two 3D printers that are my primary print machines, which they're directly behind me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the one machine, the tolerances are starting to fade a little bit on it because it's getting older. The uh, belt started to, sh- to stretch just a little bit. In my print software, the software that I use to slice uh, my my prints, gives me the ability to specify um, if I need any adjustments to the dimensions for the outside and inside. And so I, if I need to, I'll print one. And if I notice that there's an issue with it, I can take my calipers to it, measure it, and I can adjust that that uh, tolerance to give me a little bit more, a little bit less to kind of, to meet the need that, that I have. And that's something you even have to, to think about too, is um, if your slicing software doesn't support it, a lot of um, plastics that you print with shrink after they finish printing. Mm-hmm. And like I use ABS, ABS has a pretty high level of shrink, but my, uh, my slicing software accounts for it. Oh. Because I specify that I'm printing in ABS. That's pretty cool. I didn't realize I didn't realize you could do that. So what is um what is something that would have the, the I guess what's the material you would recommend for things that are the most sensitive like that? Uh, PLA has some of the least amount of shrink of the the easiest to print materials. Um, I usually avoid PLA because I've been printing things that I send to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, PLA 
PLA has a low, uh, they call it glass transition temperature. Mm-hmm. So when PLA gets to a certain temperature, it becomes malleable. Um, and then it can deform. So like oh. in the summer, if I were to ship out PLA pro- parts, there's a chance they would get back to someone and they'd be warped. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I do everything in ABS, which doesn't have that issue. Not anywhere near like PLA does. So it's ABS, PLA, and SLA? Uh, SLA is a type of printing. Um, That's the, the stuff that came out really brittle whenever you do it, right? Um, I think you're thinking of the... Uh, so you're thinking of... Uh, oh, God, SLA. Ac- acronym. <laughs> it's been about 10 years since I've done anything into this. Um, and even then, for me, it was... Um, I didn't do any of the design. I just did a lot of the testing and prototyping. So if you're talking back then, that I believe that was the powder that they, uh, they, shot, um, they shot a binding agent into. Mm-hmm. So it was like a, uh, like a, uh, I can't even remember what the powder it was because I remember reading about some of those machines, um, but it might have even been like a nylon powder. But they would shoot a uh, a jet of uh, binding agent into it, and then it would cure the powder in the shape. And at every layer, they would put a new layer of powder on top, and then shoot the um, binding agent on it and keep going up as they go. And that's similar to the way that uh, Shapeways does their products. They do uh, SLS, Selective Laser Centering. Hmm. And they do that with uh, nylon powder, and they use a laser to melt the powder, and they lay a new layer of powder, melt the powder, new layer of powder. And that's actually the process that I had to, had to use in order to make the, uh, the GC, uh, or the GameCube digital port connectors when I was first doing that project. Hmm. Because I just there was no way my printers were going to be able to meet the uh, the resolution requirements of that part. So the technology's gotten to the place where some uh, a company like Shapeways could do something that, that that's that accurate but not brittle, still a strong uh, strong plastic. Yeah, the their nylon uh, their nylon plastic is actually really strong. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, because ten years ago, um, if you like, we had bezels for a touchscreen computer. So you put the bezel on. If you screw it in, I mean, you would have to use tiny screwdrivers because the weight of a big one that itself would snap it off. And I just just two fingers, and you could hear it break right off. And sometimes it would just shatter the whole bezel of it. So oh man, yeah, and they were expensive yeah, too. They were like six hundred bucks to do that. So. Yeah, there there's been a lot of a lot of changes in the way uh, a lot of these printing technologies are kind of developing. I think HP just announced a uh, a metal printer that prints some type of like liquid metal. Huh. It, it's weird. It's like a they have a binding agent with the metal and it's like two nozzles, one sprays the binder, one sprays the metal and Whoa, I didn't even hear about that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's expensive technology. Four hundred thousand dollar machines, but <laughs> yeah, it costs a lot to make the Terminator. I guess, jeez. Yeah, you know, um, I've always been absolutely fascinated about this stuff. I worked very closely with a guy named Axel, a mechanical engineer who used to design airplane terminals, uh, and okay. then he retired and got bored, as most of us nerds do when we try to relax. <laughs> and he uh, just ended up getting a job with us designing the any anything that needed to be physically designed. So from yeah. the plastics to the metal to whatever else. 
Um, and I was always fascinated watching him work in SolidWorks and then going to some of the sheet metal places where you get to watch the laser cut machines work. And then, you know, you get out in the, I mean, that alone, I could, you know, you got to use, uh, I, the last one I saw um, had the glass on it so you didn't need the visor. I could just stare at that and just watch that thing go across and make cuts for like an hour and not get bored. Uh, and then, of course, seeing the molds and seeing how um, the plastic gets poured into them and stuff like that. It was all, I liked stuff like yeah. that a lot. I thought it was really cool. It was definitely over my head. Uh, I could only do things like he would send me a file in SolidWorks and, you know, I, I would move something over three millimeters and then add a picture. Or I'd cut and paste in MS Paint just to show him how I wanted something. But... Um, <laughs> It was a it was such a cool process watching it from that to, to something, which is why now the home three D printers I think are just so amazing because you could do the whole thing by yourself. So yeah, yeah, it it's been pretty awesome to be able to do it. And I mean, I I started off with a kit printer three years ago, and I've amassed way too many three D printers from for a single person. Yeah, you have two behind you. Is that all of them? Like, which are the ones you've had? Okay, so um, I started off with the kit Prussia um, clone from China. I I paid three hundred bucks for it three years ago, and I always had problems with that printer. It it never failed. I was printing more parts for it than I was doing anything else. <laughs> So I eventually, um, I said I was done. I went out and after that, I bought my first uh, Flash Forge. I bought the, uh, it was the wood body Flash Forge. Um, and since then, I, I've pretty much been been a Flash Forge fan. I have got two Flash Forges behind me. Mm -hmm. uh, the one's the Creator Pro, the 2017 model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 2017 model. And then the Guider 2S, which is their largest 3D printer. And how much do those run? Um, the um, Creator Pro runs for $900, and the Guider 2S is a $2,000 printer. And uh, you don't recommend that the, the Chinese clones of the Prussias? Um... I, it's not that I don't recommend them. They are great printers for you to learn on. Um, you can get a lot of great prints out of them, mm -hmm. but you will print probably a replacement piece for every single part of that machine before you get it printing as well as you would like. If you want a good out-of-the-box printer, the Prussia Mark II and Prussia Mark III are great machines, the the actual official ones. And aren't um, they 700 and 900 or something? So not I think too so. expensive. No, no, they're not They're not bad. You're still in the $1,000 uh, range there. And um, the one thing about those is they're not enclosed. So if you want to do ABS, you have to have an enclosure. Mm -hmm. um, so the two printers behind me, they both have fully enclosed uh, bodies. And when you print an ABS, if you don't have an enclosed body, the uh, layers will actually separate on you. Mm -hmm. And you can have warping from the print just from anything. Uh, because ABS is really sensitive to changes in temperature, mm -hmm. which usually happens when like you walk in the room and the air from you walking by it moves it. Oh wow, even that sensitive? Yeah, that's incredible. It, it can be pretty. It can be pretty bad. Um, which is why most people with, with uh, the Prussia Mark II, uh, Mark III, what what have you, they they mostly print in PLA because PLA 
PLA will pretty much print without any regard to any temperature issues. But yeah, is that PLA, the one where they did the demo of, uh, of printing upside down just to prove that they could do it? They used PLA plastic and the, the Prussia? Uh, they might have. That was kind of funny. I'm not it was sure useless. I ever saw that. It was a useless demonstration, but it was kind of neat at the same time. So yeah, um, the one thing with PLA is PLA is uh, will absorb water pretty easily. So hmm. you got to watch um, watch your PLA. You should you, with PLA, you should always put it back into like a plastic bag with some desiccant packets, just to keep your PLA from getting brittle. Because that's what happens when PLA gets water absorbed into it. Uh, ABS does the same thing to a certain extent, but I mean, you'd have to have a pretty high level of humidity to do it. Like I'm in, I'm indoors. So my, my ABS just sits right on top of the printers <laughs> or right out in the open. And I've never had an issue with the PLA print or the ABS printing, um, due to the, uh, water absorption. If you print in nylon, you you pretty much need to have it in desiccant while it's printing because nylon will absorb water just by being in a room. Uh, I wonder if they do um, like temperature controlled rooms and everything when they do some of the, the, the other 3D print stuff. Like, you know, not the assembly lines because those are fine, but any of the higher end 3D print work that needs the bigger pieces, it's probably a sealed temperature controlled area, right? Uh, some of them, yeah. Uh, there's even uh, there's a company that makes a, a hobbyist 3D printer enclosure that you can you can control the temperature of the the enclosure you can control the humidity of the enclosure um, and then there was a few other th uh, features that it had but I think it had like a a, a spool uh, holder rack that um, you could fill with desiccant beads and fill <laughs> feed your filament through. So it's it like a gigantic kind of a, fish tank or something, but with a three D printer. Pretty much, that's cool. Yeah, the the one I saw was designed for the, uh, uh, I think for the Prussia series, uh, hmm. and it was like five thousand dollar enclosure. Like that's more than the printer. That's funny. We uh, we've had to do some crazy tricks over the years for temperature, but my favorite, uh, I think it was before I was born. The guy, my first job. Um, the, the whole team, the IT team had been there since 81, the year I was born. And when I was, uh, I apprenticed under the, the network administrator and he was telling me a story about one of their big computer upgrades. And I think it was 81 said, uh, you know, did whatever process they were doing 50 times faster than the last one, but the Ram had to be at the same temperature. If it was more than a one degree temperature change, it would throw errors and you'd have to reboot the whole system, which back then, you know, switch the punch cards. It's like a, te a, te a 10 minute ordeal at least. Yeah. So they got, he just brought a kitchen oven in, stuck it in the oven, set it, the oven at like 125, because the temperature range, it could go as cool as freezing and as hot as like 400 degrees. So he just stuck it in at like 120, and that was it. That ran for about eight years. <laughs> I love stuff like that. That always cracked me up. <laughs> uh, I find it funny, because uh, at, at work, I actually, I talked my, my boss into buying me a 3D printer for work, <laughs> and... Uh, we we have these these German manufactured machines. They were manufactured in like the 1990s, um, and the company went out of business in the early 2000s. And they have run out of parts, so they're you know $150,000 machines, and they don't want to give them up, even though they're 25 years old. Um, so 
they they had little rubber wheels that fail on them, and mm-hmm. we we had a box of like ten thousand of them at one point. And we've already exhausted them. Hmm. <laughs> they go bad all the time, and uh, I'm like, well, I have a roll of TPU filament at home. I'll print you off a wheel out of uh, flexible plastic on my 3D printer, and I brought the wheel in, and we put it on the machine, and um, that is still running on that machine two years later. Oh, that's awesome. I know. Where do you work so, that has these big machineries? Um, so I work for an insurance company. These machines are uh, mail openers. Oh, okay, okay. So they, uh, they help process their, uh, their, their checks and, and stuff like that. That's funny. Um, huh. Yeah, they're, they're not actually even all that big machines. They're about the size of like a five-foot table, five-foot by three-foot table. Um, but they're just they're part of their process and nobody ever wants to change when they have a process <laughs> yeah so it was it was one of those fix it or or uh we're gonna buy a different company's machine and have to hire new people and like okie dokie we'll fix it <laughs> yeah that stuff drives me crazy i worked for a company that spent a hundred grand on a document imaging system in like i don't, I don't know the late 90s or something and um the company went out of business uh, then the format everything was in wasn't transferable because it wasn't like a global rec- globally recognized document format. Um, the, the person in charge, the database administrator, got in touch with the original developers of the company, and they said, we could transfer everything over to whatever you want. It'll be about 50 grand. And they said, no. And I couldn't, I was blown away. I was young, so I, I was still mouthy. What a shock. But like, yeah. I, uh, you know, I... I made my opinion pretty well known, and then when I was talking about all the other things, uh, all the other options, because I was the hardware side and uh, you know she was the database administrator, the woman was all 100% on my page. She wanted the new things, and the bosses were looking at all these other options. They're like, "Oh, they all sound great. You know, what's the cheapest one? 250 grand. So there you go. You just lost 200 grand because you didn't want to spend 50 grand three years ago. That stuff cracks oh, yeah. me up. But yeah, people aren't going to change. Mean, <laughs> yeah, the I see that all the time. Just, I mean, even in, in my position at work, they don't want to, they don't want to spend the money up front to do it right. So the long-term cost of doing it wrong ends up being significantly more than just doing it right the first time. Yeah. And I mean, every time it's like at the end of it, well, hindsight. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes you can't help it, but you know, I see yeah. people consistently do it, and I didn't last very long in that job. That company culture, I couldn't couldn't do it. But <laughs> yeah. So I got to take a second to talk about some of your work, um, and I'm going to start with the silliest one because when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's really neat. I want one." But then when I got it home, I was like, "Wow, this is so much cooler than I thought." But just the um, try to get it in focus. Just the stand for the controller. <laughs> so now. I'm, you know, where all my games are, next to my games, I have this perfect stand for this uh, a SNES controller. I have two of these, yeah. one for the wireless and one without, and then also for the one with the uh, with the analog sticks. So uh, that, like, I, I honestly, like, I couldn't, I, I thought it was awesome when I saw it, and I, I had to have it, and then uh, you sent me one, I had one made, and now they're both displayed, and everybody, when they come over, they're like, whoa, where'd you get that? <laughs> But uh, so, what what gave you the idea for that? Did you see another controller stand and think it was cool? Was it um, just you know? 
Not really. I I think I, I mean, who knows? I may have seen somebody's thing or may have saw like a production design of some stand for a controller, but I was just I think I was in my living room, we were playing SNES. Um I, I my girlfriend's kid, he's six. We were playing the on the SNES and we got done playing in Hey guys and uh we, we just sat our controllers on the coffee stand or our coffee table and like there uh, needs to be a place for these <laughs> <laughs> and so it kind of just okay I'll start making a stand for it and then I made more adjustments to it and I laid it back at an angle and I'm like wow I like this let's keep going at it and I make all of the, the dimensions perfect so it, so it cups the controller and like this is good practice for learning how to do this stuff. <laughs> yeah, when you say it cups the controller, like this thing, uh, once it's in, it does not flop around at all. I'm trying to get it in focus. Sorry. So there, <laughs> it's not. It's not like when you put it in. There's a ton of play. These things are solid. So when if you buy one of these, it's not. You know, that's it. it once it's in, it's in. Gravity does the rest. So I thought yeah. that was really cool. Um, and I got to show off one thing. I've been meaning to do a mini review on this, but I've been. Unfortunately, a little too swamped. Um, I a while back demoed the um, the AVS controller from Retro USB, and uh, it just it didn't fit my hands for whatever reason. I just it wasn't comfortable. It kind of dug into my palms, and I didn't like the clicky buttons that it had. So I asked if you'd be interested, and uh, you had made the glow in the dark plastic 3D print case for it. And yeah. it completely and totally changes the feel. And not only does this feel like a normal NES controller and, um, you know, very comfortable to use. It is a hair thicker. I probably should have got the NES controller to show. It is a hair thicker, but yeah. I honestly don't notice in the slightest. But even because my hands are now braced the way that they've been since the 80s, when I, when I put the clicky buttons on the D-pad, um, it feels fine. I don't even realize that they're buttons and not, you know, not a squishy pad because my hand is just so used to the positioning. Um, and I, I was, I was blown away. I keep meaning to do a review of this and everything. And as long as you don't tighten the screws down, I don't have any problems with the, uh, meaning like over tighten the screws. Yeah. I don't have any problems with the buttons not coming back up or anything like that, but that was absolutely killer. Thank you, thank you again, by the way. But um, yeah, like, can you just walk through the basics of this? Is it, it pretty much the same process that you talked about of just measuring everything out? Yeah, uh, I mean that's, that's really all that I did. It started off as a square that I put the shape of the controller or uh, the shape of the D-pad and the buttons and all that. I mean, it was it was a lot of measuring. Um, trying to get it in to, focus up here because you could even see the contours. Yeah, it's, oh yeah, you could kind of see it. You could even see the contours on the sides. So you said measure yeah. the square, but it's not a square. That, that's you know that is perfect right there, perfectly contoured. Yeah, that. Around. Yeah, that. All of that is kind of something that I do at the end of uh, doing a design. So when I first make something, it's always going to be a block. It's going to be really tight, hard edges everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then I go back and I. I put chamfers, um, uh, radiuses, and make it nice and pretty and, and comfortable. The first one is actually it's still on my uh, AVS controller. Is I I didn't get the uh, or the the bowl edges around the uh, corners um, quite round enough, so it kind of pokes my hands when I play with it. But uh, 
<laughs> you can just reprint another though. If you, so. Yeah, I could <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, this this is killer, and I want to do uh, I want to do a review as soon as I can, and then I'll. Uh, okay. I know Brian Funny Boy is uh, is uh, laid up with surgery right now, so uh, I don't even want to bother him. But when that's all over, I'll try talking to him and seeing like. Uh, Maybe he'll want to put a version of it out, like you know, using this or something, and, and credit you for the design. But I, um, I think that uh, this, to me personally, now this is just preference. So for anybody watching, I'm not trying to be a dick. I like Brian; he's been very nice to me. But to me personally, this takes something that I thought was cool, but I would have never used, and now this is my main NES controller. So this is uh, this is absolutely awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I know when you first uh, approached me about that, you you wanted me to use. Uh like a Amazon Nest controller as the front. And I was, I got, or you sent me the, the one that you kind of tore into. Half the part, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, but none of the screw posts line up, and like you're only using two screw posts or something like that. I just, the only reason I said that is because I try to be respectful of people's time because a lot of uh -huh. people don't understand uh, how long certain things take. So, you know, they'll say, hey, would you mind just doing this for me? And I, I always try to help. But and then like four hours later, it's like, all right, this was a lot of work. So if that yeah. was something where it was going to make, you know, add a ton more work to the project, anything that I could have done to save time for it. But this is perfect. Anybody, in my opinion, anybody that has that AVS controller should get this. Um, worst comes to worst, you buy it, you plug it in, you don't like it as much, whatever. It's still going to be a much cheaper 3D print than, uh, than anything else that you could buy, you know, compared comparatively speaking. It's not like you have to buy another $70 controller with it. So, yeah. Yeah, that was that was very awesome. And of course, I have your uh you sent me the Dreamcast Noctua fan mod. And uh that's mm -hmm. basically just the adapter that allows you to put the aftermarket uh cheap but really high quality silent fan into the Dreamcast. Yeah. Um I just installed that. I just installed the GDMU and uh, I w wanted to test a new cable that's coming, so I'm testing that soon. So I haven't I fired it up to make sure it worked, but I haven't put that through its paces yet. But it is silent, silent. Um, yeah, the having that is is a great mod for your consoles. Uh, I didn't actually make the uh, the bracket for that the or the shroud. Mm -hmm. That was done by uh, Buffalo Wing on uh, Assembler Games. Oh yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, I I did a lot of testing on that early on. I I was printing like every everything that i could to to make that work i did the i did make the uh the latch that latches the lid close that you have to replace to fit everything in yeah i was um, a little confused at that at first then i saw the extra latch there and i went well, let me put it in and see what happens after and then i realized <laughs> what it was after i after yep. i had bolted it in but yeah that's cool yeah it it's it's a nice mod and um that that was like one of the earliest ones that I got approached by people like crazy to make for them, hmm. and I'm like, well, I don't have the connectors for the fans, so I don't know how you're gonna do that. And I went and I measured out the connectors, and I found the actual part number for the connectors, and I ordered the connectors, and I made little cables like the one that I sent you, and hmm. I included them, and I just built them up as as full kits to sell off, and. That is and awesome. that's I think that's what I started my eBay with. And that's still that available mod. on your eBay store, right? Yep. Yep. Have you done any temperature testing with those? Um, I haven't done temperature testing uh, other than just seeing how everything kind of works. Um, I 
I, I'm on the strong opinion that the heat issue in the Dreamcast for the uh, uh, the GDMU? Uh, dry, yeah, GDMU and... The and, USB GD-ROM? And the USB GD-ROM, the heat issues that people are experiencing are more to do with the change in the airflow that happens by replacing the disk drive. And I highly recommend that if you have one of those, you get either like my insert made for the uh, mm-hmm. USB GD-ROM or get Twisted Symphonies for the GDMU made because that honestly changes the airflow back to what it was when the disk drive was installed. Yeah, that and you have to replace, uh, or not replace, you have to remove, either remove one of the set, uh, the voltage regulators or remove the capacitor that goes to it so you shut it off. Uh, that was that was affecting it a lot as well. But yeah, airflow and, uh, and fan quality and things like the shrouds make ridiculous amounts of difference in things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, in that job that I had where I used to design computers, I fell into thermal testing and, uh, and design for that. And I, I loved it. And it was one of those things where once, you know, they said, hey, can you do anything with this? And two days into it, I was like, nobody touch it. This is my project. I love this. <laughs> like, and I mean, I, nice. I found out, and mostly just layman's trial and error. I certainly didn't, you know, go to, uh, go to school for it or anything. But mm-hmm. I took a computer that was running at about 70C consistently. And when I was done, it was running at 50C consistently. And it was just trial and error nice. of adding things in and... You know, everything from, like, pieces of cardboard on the inside to change the airflow. And then my thermal test chamber was a big cardboard box that you put on top of it and then duct taped around it so it basically sealed it onto the table that I was on. Everybody was laughing their asses off on that until we, we, once the testing was done, we sent it to a real thermal chamber and the numbers were identical to my little test box. So, I, uh, when I saw that, um, when I saw your shroud and then when I saw the, the GameCube one that you just did... Um, maybe I should go and order a bunch of thermal couples and, and do some more. We had a couple of testing kits that I used. Maybe I'll go buy another one of those and, and see how much of a difference it makes. Because I'd be willing to bet it makes a significant difference. Yeah, I, I would imagine it would. It, especially on the Dreamcast, because you're taking that old Dreamcast fan, which was a 30-millimeter fan, I mean, absolutely tiny, had to run incredibly fast in order to do what it was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it still didn't push a lot of air. Mm-hmm. The, the Noctua one is a 40 millimeter. It pushes significantly more air. It just testing it, if you put the fans and you have them blow against your wrist, you can tell there's a huge oh, yeah. difference. And then just the level of, of the um, sound coming from the two. I mean, that little teeny tiny fan was having to run at like 9,000 RPM and it screams. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I mean you, you don't really notice it when you have a disk drive in your Dreamcast because the disk drive screams louder. But mm-hmm. everyone that's moved from there into a, a, a an emulator or a drive emulator, now you're you're constantly reminded that the Dreamcast is a loud console because of the fan. Yeah, and, that's true. Yeah, and the GameCube wasn't nearly as bad. Uh, the GameCube fan was a 50 millimeter fan, but it's not a not a common style of 50 millimeter fan. Mm-hmm. The uh, mounting brackets for it are just really odd. They're uh, they're spaced like 44 millimeters apart, whereas a typical 50 millimeter fan spaces the uh, mounting brackets at like 42 or 41 and a half millimeters apart. Mm-hmm. So you can't just take that fan out and put a 
a, a traditional 50 millimeter fan in there, which is part of why I did the the fan shroud the way I did for the uh, GameCube. Mm-hmm. And I got I I got requested to do that by a uh, by an eBay buyer who bought from me. Hmm. He uh, apparently was on the um, a similar games forums because he sent me a link to his mod on the game or a similar game forums where he had to chop his old fan bracket apart and and mount the fan in there. He's like, I was just wondering if you had enough time, if you could look into doing it. I'm like, that's actually kind of a cool mod. I mean, I, my GameCube's not super loud by any means, but... Anytime you could uh, you could lower both the noise and the efficiency overall, so you get something yeah. that now, you know, now the temperature is just consistently lower and all that stuff, and there, there's nothing nothing negative about that at all. So yeah, even if it didn't need it, you probably extended the life of every GameCube that hasn't installed, so... Yeah, um, yeah. The, it's nice not being a, or not having to to take from another console in order to repair uh, another one. Yeah, absolutely. Which I mean, going forward, that's that's what we're kind of running into with everything. Um, once we exhaust all of the consoles that are in bad condition, what are we going to get the parts from? Right. Yeah. So stuff like this is going to be absolutely imperative. So I, I talked about some of your stands. I talked about the fan mods, uh, the height deafness. That thing is freaking awesome. When uh, the the final pictures that you'd sent uh, and that Jason had showed of everything lining up, um, I guarantee even a Nest enthusiast, if you're walking by that thing, you would do a double take before you realized it wasn't stock. That looks absolutely killer. Thanks. So, um, like, uh, did you just want to not cut your console when you're doing the, the high def nest mod for it? So I didn't have any of my original consoles mm-hmm. left. Um, at some point in my early twenties, I decided I'm going to sell all my consoles and go buy new consoles. Mm-hmm. So I got rid of uh, like everything that I had, my SNES, my N64, my, I God, I can't even remember what I all I had, mm-hmm. and I bought I think at the time a PS3, and I still even have that I still have that PS3, which is funny, and <laughs> it doesn't actually even work anymore. It's got a, the yellow light of death, but uh, I I didn't have any of them, and then my parents they were cleaning out some I don't know box, and they're like, oh, we found your Nintendo. I'm like, my Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, okay, I'll go see what they got. And I'm like, oh wow, that's actually my my top loader. Oh, that's awesome, kid. So I'm like, well, I'm gonna put the HD uh, HDMI mod in there, but I'm gonna do it a little different because I am terrible at cutting the HDMI hole. <laughs> Me too. That's why I don't do it. <laughs> yep. So I'm like, well. I think it's time. Let's make something different. And that's when I kind of posted, I'm like, would people be interested in something like that? Because this is a lot of work. Yeah, I think it's funny because Jason and I didn't talk about it, but I think he and I both at the exact same time were like, yes, do it, do it. <laughs> yeah, Jason, I think Jason had me or DM'd me on Twitter. Like, God, it had to have been like two seconds after he liked the tweet like, I, I got the notification on my phone uh game tech liked your tweet and then i'm like oh cool and then you got a message <laughs> that's awesome yeah uh, oh 
But yeah, the, that's had a lot of a lot of following. Uh, a lot of people have been really hyped up about it. Um, we're, I mean, we're we're still in the sending stuff back and forth stage. Uh, I just sent him six more different colors so we can see all of the color options that I have available. Very. Cool. Uh, I don't think that it that many more than just like the black, the red, the uh, grays are going to sell, but at least there's an option for people that want to kind of make theirs a little different. They can get something in a different color. Yeah, um, I think I I forgot whether it was you or he who had sent me the picture, but it looked it almost matched the original gray perfectly or maybe it did match it perfectly. But um so the the two gray two gray colors that I have, uh one of them is like way too light and way too blue. So it doesn't really fit the theme. That's the one that uh, Jason did his review on. That was the first mm-hmm. one that I sent him. Uh, the second gray color that I have is a gunmetal gray. And it doesn't look as out of place as the first gray did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still doesn't match perfectly. And my camera, my, my cell phone, I don't really have a camera, doesn't do it justice in the color. Mm-hmm. I think it looks good. I think it looks like a really strong choice for for the coloring. But I think what most people would probably prefer would be the black because then it kind of feeds the black from the controller ports through as a band. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and that's honestly, I think, is going to be what most people will prefer. Hmm. Uh the red's really cool too because it kind of ties the the power button in to the to the look. Yeah. And, uh, I actually had somebody on Twitter. He's going to a uh, some retro gaming convention, and he really wanted to get a hold of one. And I'm like, well, I'm not quite ready yet, but I'll send I'll send you one. And so I ended up sending him one, so, so that he can kind of show it off at the retro convention he's going to. That's cool. And, yeah, he wanted it in red because he thought it would it would really accentuate accentuate the the look. Yeah, for something like bring it to an expo, you want it to stand out in a way where everybody yeah. turns their head at it. So yeah, that that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, it was that was a lot of work. <laughs> I bet. I uh, I think I printed before I even sent the first one to Jason. I think I printed probably seven or eight. Oh wow! Uh, tests of that to get kind of everything right. And even then, I was still just a little off with the one that Jason got a hold of. There's a few things that he, he asked me to change on it, and I changed those uh, all those things off, and I sent him the these newest or this newest batch. Um, so he should be, once he gets the, the other six that I sent him, he should do a, a video on those. Very cool. Um, is there a timetable for when those are going to be sold? Um... Pretty much when he gives the okay that it's uh, where he thinks that it should be, mm-hmm. and we'll start selling them. I already have the screws and and the other kind of the small stuff already even printed. I have like uh, here I have a huge box of small parts. <laughs> Perfect. But uh, how long I have does it to... take to print one of those in your printer? So, if I do just the actual body, so since I've got all the small parts already printed, it's about six hours per. Okay. Um, and that can only only be printed on my bigger printer. My little ones don't, or my 
they're not even little. The the regular sized ones that I have, they they it doesn't even fit on those ones. <laughs> so I can only print one at a time. But I actually have a, an idea of how I can get two of them going at the same time, and I'll run the because uh, I'm I'm going to strip out the uh, the center uh, riser. And I'm going to print that on the smaller machines because that'll fit on the smaller machines. And then I'll print two of the uh, outer risers um, by having them kind of sit into each other through the opening that they have on the back. So you could, uh, when you say print two at the same time, you don't mean on the same on the same printer, do you? Yeah, on the same print. Oh, surface. so then it just oh, okay. I think I see what you mean. Okay, all right, that's cool. I wouldn't have even thought of doing something like that. But there you go. That's tricks of when you start using these things all the time. So, Yeah. Uh, like when I do the Noctua fan mods, I think I do, um, God, probably 12 <laughs> fan shrouds at a time. Huh. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got a huge box full of those parts, too, in just about every color that I offer them. Awesome. I, I usually run a, a good deal of them, and... I always, when I sell those, I'm always sending them two shrouds just mm. in case one of them gets damaged because they do have a, a bit of a, a fragile spot on them and just there's no real way to get around it. And shipping through USPS, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. <laughs> so I, for me, it ends up being a lot easier if I ship two of them because then I have less people that come back and say, hey, it's broke. And then I don't have to pay for shipping again and deal with getting it to them safely again. Yeah, you probably lose, at the end of a year, you'll lose less shipping, too, than you would, you know, paying for shipping back and forth and, you know, dealing with, yep. dealing with all that. So, do you, have, uh, do you have any upcoming projects that you could talk about that you're working on? Um, I am working with, uh, with Jason. We're going to be doing the... We're going to be be bringing the height depth mess to the Famicom and eventually to the to, uh, to the toaster, the front loader. Oh wow, really? Yeah. Is your uh, pr the, printer big enough to do the uh, insert for the toaster? It actually is barely. <laughs> oh man, that's killer. I know. I was really surprised by it when I did it, and I'm a little worried about that one because that one, I mean, that's probably going to be a eight hour plus print for just that part uh, so it's like ooh, i'm not gonna get too many of those out but so when you have um the full 3d designs completed for stuff like that these days is it still the same process of when you have a mold made it's you know fifty thousand dollars to have the tool made and then you know like a dollar each when you run them off like that yeah the uh the print files i mean i my printers already have the files on them so i go over to the printers and i scroll through their menu and I hit print and walk away for the most part. I mean, I, I have to do a little prep, but mm -hmm. most of the, the print processes is pretty much, I don't even touch the printers once they're they're up and running. Um, my print files, I, they're usually based on my, my normal settings for printing, uh, printing objects. I do like a 40%, 30, 30 to 40% infill. Mm -hmm. Um, with like three outer layers um, and then three top layers and three bottom layers. So the outside shell is fairly thick. Um, the My print layers, I do a, a 
200 micron uh, print layer. Mm -hmm. So my layers are 200 microns thick or 0.2 millimeters thick mm -hmm. um, between layers, which helps them be a little bit more resilient to um, to delaminating. Because the thicker your layers are, the uh, the more likely that they're going to split apart because there's less material pressing against it when right. it's heated up. But, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, all from the, mass the, production things, those print files are, are essentially the same as what someone would use to do a run of 10,000 of something. It's just that when you do the mass production, you have to create a tool and then do injection molding, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, injection molding is always faster, but... And uh, cost-efficient. That's, that's yes. the thing. If you need to make 10,000 of something, it is infinitely cheaper to spend that 50 grand on the tool and to have them made for a buck a piece yep. than it is for, to do anything else. So Yeah. Uh, yeah, 3D printing, the nice thing is it is very beneficial for small runs. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, the stuff that I do, I, I don't sell a lot of that stuff. So, you know, making 100 of them over the course of a year... Mm -hmm. You know, I would never make my money back if I were to make a or to have a mold made. Oh, and, yeah, and, of course. I mean, it just would never happen. I mean, I, I suppose I could probably sell them for cheaper. Maybe they'd sell more, but then, uh, you know, you're, you're you're running into that. You never really know if something that you make would be popular enough to get into enough people's hands to actually be worthwhile. Whereas with three D printing. You know, my time for my for a project that I do for myself, that time's cheap. Mm -hmm. That time is time that I'm spending on myself, on my hobby, doing the things that I like to do. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, I, it doesn't really matter to me how much time I invest into a project as long as I complete it and I'm happy with it. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, the majority of my projects are done for me. I mean, other than the, or the family and... Uh, front loader at this point but yeah i'm kind of kind of having fun with the the figuring out how to fit everything in the the famicom is the really difficult one <laughs> yeah i bet with the 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 top the eject slider thingy yeah like all those different parts and yeah that's pretty killer yeah um is so, there is there a middle ground though is there something so if i need 10,000 of something make a tool injection mold if i need 10 of something 3d print them but is there a middle ground is the place like shapeway set up to do 100 of something in a way where it's more efficient than doing it yourself and uh, not too expensive or um i don't know that there really is any real middle ground shapeways is pretty expensive especially if you're talking large quantities yeah um like, just say my my uh, my GC uh, GC video or GC plug uh, uh, connectors. Mm -hmm. Buying those from Shapeways, I think Shapeways was charging like two something a piece for those connectors. That's two dollars a piece for a connector. Two two something for the print, but that's not terrible, all things considered. No, but that doesn't have any pins in it, so you still have to spend the time to to pull the pins out of a PCI connector and shove them into the 3D print connector. You're talking a, a that part alone would cost you quite a bit just to manufacture the as a fully working electrically mechanically working part. But when you're you don't really get a huge discount from Shapeways by ordering more because it costs Shapeways the same amount of money to make 10 
versus a hundred versus a thousand. Their printers have huge, huge volumes compared to what our our printers do. But even then, I mean, they wait they wait to print your parts until they have enough parts to fill that volume. Because for them, in the way that they print, uh, having the volume filled with parts makes more sense. It's it's a cheaper process overall because they actually have to to they can't reuse the pla or the plastic that isn't part of parts inside mm -hmm. of their printers. They can reuse a little bit, but they can't reuse a lot of it because nylon being nylon, it absorbs water like crazy. <laughs> so you um, maybe I heard wrong, but I thought you said uh, to get the GC plug, just the, the connector on the end without the pins in it or anything like that. You said that was like $2 from PC or from uh, Shapeways. I think it was like two something. Because every more. time I've uploaded a three D print design to them, it was like twenty bucks to get it printed, if not more than that. Uh, how big of a of an object is it? Because the I mean, GC plug plug sm is pretty smaller small. than this, but bigger than the GC plug, I guess. Yeah. The so like the the the, the housing for the GC plug, uh, each piece of the housing was like three bucks, and that's like twice the size of the the plug. Um, I think it was like a dollar something to get the button printed by them huh. <laughs> but uh yeah they're they're definitely not the, the the cheapest option um it used to be that 3d hubs was a great place to go to 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 have somebody like me i i mean i never had a hub but uh, an enthusiast like myself that could print something for you mm -hmm. uh, on on like a home base machine like this but 3d hubs has kind of gone to the uh uh, the big 3D print shops are running the actual hubs for 3D hubs now, oh. so okay. so you don't get that kind of kind of choice on. Oh well, I can support some guy that you know is doing it out of his house or what have you. Trying to make a few bucks back from the printer. So. Yeah. Um, the, you know, I wanted to ask you before, but I didn't want to interrupt. Those. Um, when I say beginner printers, not the cheapo three hundred dollar ones, but like the you mm -hmm. know the the seven hundred dollar to a thousand dollar pressure printers, I've had a few people tell me that the assembly for that, uh, just when you from the time that the box arrives at your house to the time that you have your first print, even if you already have a file, is hours and hours. Did you find that to be true as well? Maybe or, or maybe you're just used to it so much that it's not a thing for you anymore. Um, so. On my first printer, yeah, it took me probably, it took me like eight hours to assemble the printer. But that was a flat-packed um, 3D printer. I mean, it it came in a box the size of like a laptop box. Oh. <laughs> so it, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't very, it wasn't very hard to assemble. But you had to follow the directions. You had to figure out what part went where, and it takes a long time for those kit-style printers. And the pressure does come in kits, so it that may be kind of what they did is they got a kit and then it it takes a long time to get it set up and then once you're set up then you got to start kind of learning how to slice your parts and how to print on your printer and no two 3d printers print exactly the same because uh, hmm. i think uh, uh, i think it was renee from dv electronics who said when he bought his printer um you know, he had kind of he had fun putting it together, but he said the thing for him was that by putting it by having to put it together, um, he already knew so much about it, so that when it came time to tweak, he already knew where everything went and what everything was because you had to put it together. 
but yeah that that's that's a great point um and that's probably why i do so well with these uh these more production style printers than uh now than um like the that little prussia clone that i had at the beginning mm-hmm. because i know the inner workings of the printers how the you know this goes where and, and you kind of get used to where issues kind of pop up in your prints like you you look at a print and you see that maybe there's like a little wobbling look to it and you know that that's well that must be a loose uh, my must be a loose screw on the z uh on the z screw uh, on the z lead screw so you go in and you can tighten your screws and and get back up and running a little bit quicker because you you know what to expect based on the problems that can arise from from printing cool um anything else i forgot to ask i mean uh i could probably ask you little questions about 3d print stuff for another hour but i don't (laughs) i don't want to bore you to death uh anything i forgot to mention um i don't think so i mean you went over my controller stands uh the gc video um plug in the controller <laughs> uh, yeah I mean for me it, this is this is my hobby I enjoy doing it and that's kind of why I release everything for free mm-hmm. um, I, I think that if we all kind of work together on projects kind of give each other ideas and work off of it, it it's nice to be able to to give back to the to the rest of the uh, the community that kind of works on the projects that are same things that you kind of work on. Um, I mean, yeah. that's kind of kind of how I've looked at it. When I first started that that shroud for the Dreamcast, I uh, I didn't release the files for it until a long time after. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like, well, I'm making money on it. Why should I give it away? And it kind of dawned on me, I think around the time that I released the GameCube one, I I will sell these regardless. If people want to buy them from me, I'm more than willing to print them for them and, and get them off to them. Um, and then if somebody wants to make it themselves, go at it. It's a fun project to do. It's fun to watch your printer print something out. And then it's awesome to know that you have something in your printer that you made. Yeah. Yeah, you know, in um, for small volume stuff, small meaning like, you know, under 100 at a clip, uh, I have found time and time again that people with hobby projects like this, um, if they open source and then sell them, they really don't lose any money. Because the person yeah. who wanted to do it themselves anyway might have gone and tried to do a different solution. And uh, your average person just admires the design and wants it. I I know for me personally, even if I had room in my tiny little apartment to put a 3D printer, I don't have the day to to learn how to use it. I don't have the time. Maybe next year I'll be able to, but for now, I would much rather just go to your eBay store and buy parts and not have to worry about any of this. So Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. And it works, it seems so far, to be working out for everybody. Yeah. So um, all of your all of your designs are available on both Thingiverse, which I kept calling it Thingverse. It's Thingiverse, I guess. Yep, uh, there is an eye in there. Yep, and your eBay store as well, right? Uh, not everything. Um, the The way I do it is usually if 
I haven't sold something in a while. I just let the the auction expire. Mm-hmm. And if somebody messages me on any of the platforms that I'm active on mm-hmm. and asks me about it, I'll put it back up. I'll print a few copy extra copies of something. And if they sell, then they sell. If they don't, then you know, just throw it in a bin until the next person asks me about it. Uh, the I think it's the Dreamcast uh, Pico PSU um, mm. mount I did a long time ago. Yeah, that's got to be like two years ago now. Um, that, I mean, I never really sold many of those, but I, every once in a while, I'll get somebody on eBay sends me a message and says, I remember seeing your Pico PS, PSU mount. Would you be willing to print it? I'm like, well, I don't have parts to make you a uh, uh, the uh, wire harness for it, but if you want to order all that stuff from DigiKey, I can send you, or I can sell you the parts for ten bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and that's usually how I, I kind of deal with my my designs. Is if somebody wants to buy it from me, they are more than welcome to send me a message. I can print one off for them and send it send it their way. And what is the best place to get a hold of you? Is it Twitter? Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can send me a DM request, and I can approve it and let you talk to me. <laughs> Twitter's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I mean, just once again, thank you so much for all the work that you've done. Thank you for contributing to the no-cut mod stuff, because it was killing me see, seeing people dig holes in so many consoles, and now you've provided alternatives for people that don't want to. Because, hey, it's your own console. If you want to cut it up, fine. Yep. But I, I would guarantee that at least 50% of the people that cut holes in their console, if they had a choice, wouldn't have. So yeah. that's that's incredible, and thank you very much. Um, I will put links to uh, your eBay store and your Twitter page uh, down below, as well as to the guide that you wrote up on uh, RetroRGB.com. Thank you very much for doing those, by the way. That was awesome. Yeah. So there's full install guides for the height, deafness, and for the GameCube fan mod all the way uh, already up there. Yes. Cool. Well, uh, thanks so much for your time, and uh, you know you, you got a fan for a long time, and I'll probably be buying everything you print pretty much. <laughs> All right, cool. Talk to you next time. Yeah, have a good one.